Welcome to the Y2Stay podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Aaron Perry. This is episode five, Digital House Calls. This is a recording of a conversation with nurse practitioner Lynn Terrio Segal. Lynn is the founder and CEO of Access Point Health, a Fredericton-based company that provides online health services by way of video conferencing. Lynn is what I consider an example of someone who's left the Maritimes for a good chunk of their working life and then repatriated herself and her family and made a life here. As you'll hear, Lynn uses her nearly 20 years of experience as a nurse, including 15 years as a nurse practitioner, to bring healthcare to patients through the use of a secure online video conference setup. Now, as Lynn explains in our conversation, there may be a number of reasons why a patient may choose to make use of her services. Maybe you don't have a family physician, which is a common problem in some areas. You may not be able to get to or want to wait in a walk-in clinic or the ER for hours on end. Or maybe you can't spare the time away from your work or family to get medical advice. Lynn has identified this need and put her considerable healthcare and technology skills to work in creating this very unique service. And it's one which I think shows a great deal of promise to provide more efficient, more cost-effective care to patients, especially in rural areas. Now, I'm not an expert in the healthcare field, but I, I have to think that innovations like what Lynn has launched here are an important piece of the future in their healthcare in the Maritimes especially in the more rural areas. The featured music in this episode is from the Nova Scotia band Port Cities with an acoustic version of their song, Where Have You Been? I hadn't heard of this band before, but when I asked Lynn for suggestions for a musical interlude, she didn't hesitate to send me three or four links of Port Cities' songs. Having listened to them a lot over the last few weeks, I completely share her enthusiasm for their music. So, enough from me. Here's my conversation with Lynn Terriosegel. You are listening to the Y2 State Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Perry. I'm joined today by Lynn Terrio Segel. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you for, for having me. Well, the, I'm, I'm, glad you, uh, I'm glad you agreed to speak with me. Uh, so you are the owner of and the founder and the CEO of Access Point Health here in Fredericton. Uh, it's, uh, well, why don't I let you uh, explain a little bit about what the setup of Access Point Health is. So um, Access Point Health is a small grassroots uh, business located in Fredericton, New Brunswick. It, it offers a secure medical uh, visits online that patients independently book themselves. And it is for non-urgent um, medical issues, and it's for transient care. So, can, can you tell me what do you mean by transient? Transient care? meaning it is for occasional uh, medical issues, just like a walk-in clinic would be, but it is with a confirmed appointment. And patients go through a screening algorithm that I review, and it's to make sure that it's appropriate for a secure medical video visit, as it has some limitations since we can't do a direct in-person physical exam, right. and it's not for emergencies and patient safety is top of mind um, so behind the algorithm is me that reviews those questionnaires and makes sure that it's appropriate for that type of setting ultimately I want to provide the best care and if, if the patient should be seen somewhere else I absolutely want them to be seen in person somewhere else I only want them to be seen by me if I feel it is uh, they're gonna get the best care as possible so can you uh, depending on the information they enter when they try to book an appointment can you pre-screen them yeah, that's part of the pre-screen, and some of it um, uh, either screens them out and tells them, please go get seen in person, and uh, some of it they, they can choose, let's just say they have a medical issue that's not serious, but may still need a, a physical exam or a direct in-person physical exam, uh, they can still choose to go ahead knowing that in those circumstances I may not be able to prescribe if I can't fully diagnose, because that 
particular issue wouldn't need a, a physical exam. But it's still the patient's choice in certain circumstances. Unless it's an emergency or, or medically urgent issue, then in all those circumstances, I absolutely only want them to be seen in person where it's appropriate. Sure. And, and it's yourself and, and your husband as well as part of the... Uh... Um, it is myself. I uh, uh, My husband's my collaborating physician, mm-hmm. so the business is fully run by me right. as a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. and I am bilingual, so I speak both uh, languages in French and English. Uh, my uh, husband, Dr. Yogi Segal, is a consultant or collaborating physician. He is not part of the business. Right. That's I guess that's what I wanted to yeah. Yeah, yeah. elaborate on. Yeah. Right. So... Tell me, how long have you, uh, how long have you uh, had Access Point Health in, in operation? Well, the business, I mean, the whole business process uh, started in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to um, apply and make sure that our business falls into what a nurse practitioner should be able to do. And uh, once that approval process is done, um, of course, there's an incorporation and so on. So there's all sorts of parts to the business. So the process started a long time ago. And um, all, all the actual um, uh, electronic medical records, which are um, cloud-based, just like our provincial EHR, we have a provincial electronic health record. Um, so it's the same type of... Uh, safety that applies to this type of electronic medical record. It's all cloud-based, uh, Google, Google Chrome-based, and um, the platform is provided by a Canadian company, but it is fully customizable. Now, the the reason that it took so long, there were so many um, issues that came along the way of getting this off the ground, but one of the reasons was I had patient safety as top of mind. And since it was going to be a one-woman show, meaning there's no secretary, mm-hmm. it's just me, and trying to add patient safety is why I created those screening al- algorithms, which is part of this system. So the system itself uh, is a secure system, but you have to build it. So you have to build the diagnoses. You have to build the pre-screening questionnaires. You have to link them. You have. I ended up actually learning... Uh, natural language programming, which <laughs> <laughs> not not in your area of training. I'm no, guessing. not in my area of training. But uh, I initially hired the company to do it, and it was a hundred dollars an hour, um, and the work was so massive, um, and it wasn't. I wasn't quite getting the end product that I was looking for, so I ended up learning how to do it myself. Oh wow! So you're you must be a pretty tech savvy if you weren't before now. Yes, I was, I've always been tech savvy and always uh, been a pioneer in everything I've done in my life. So this was just, I am persistent, tenacious. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I had a mission in mind and I wanted to be done right and perfectly. And um, so that the system would run efficiently for me and for the patient and to add that extra layer of safety so if the patient books and I'm not at my computer since this is not a 24-hour access this is a part-time clinic that operates most weeks um, there was a way of adding that extra safety so if patient booked for an emergency right away they're told uh, please go to an emergency room and they get stopped right in the beginning of the process instead of after filling everything out Usually, uh, if, it, if 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 the patient 
clicks that it's an emergency, they get stopped there. They don't have to fill out all the questions and get told at the end. So people can be stopped at any point in uh, the questionnaires, uh, depending on what they click. If it's something very dangerous that they might not know that it's something dangerous. Uh, let's just say you are vomiting what we call coffee grounds, meaning black stuff. Mm -hmm. You might not know that could be technically digested blood. It could be something else like Pepto-Bismol can cause right. things to turn black. Okay. But, you know, uh, if it is, if you are vomiting black and don't know about the Pepto-Bismol, if it is potentially what we call a GI bleed or bleeding internally, uh, that automatically uh, tells you go to emerge and anything really dangerous even sends me a text message. So I programmed that in. So everything has been done in consultation and collaboration with my collaborating physician who is an ER doc. So we had mm -hmm. a lot of thought go into this mm -hmm. and how and what point do we send a patient at? What are the important diagnoses? Let's just say in nausea and vomiting uh, and cold and flu and all of those things. At what point do we send somebody? Where, what point do we say, no, it's okay. You can be seen at uh, this virtual uh, medical video consultation visits. So um, a lot of clinical decision-making went into the design of it. Uh, so it was very lengthy. So let's just say you come for the first time to see me. Uh, you o will go online. To, online. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As online. opposed to here. <laughs> As opposed to uh, in person, which um, this is fully all. My, my clinic only operates through secure medical visits. There's no physical facility to come in and visit. I am physically located in Fredericton, New Brunswick, so I am local. And um, so the first thing you will go through is the, the basic screen. Once you have chosen an appointment, if an appointment works for you, and then I get a notification that you booked the appointment. So before I can confirm the appointment, you need to fill out your medical questionnaire. So you go through an initial screen and basic, usually the initial screen, it's a little mini algorithm. Is this an emergency? Is this not? Do you need a physical exam? So it's those basic questions. Right. So if it is, uh, if you think you need a physical exam or if it's an emergency, it stops you there. It doesn't get you to fill your chart and waste your time at that point. Okay. Right? So if it isn't, then it makes you fill out your medical history. Right. Um, and then let's just say you click that you have a cold or you have a nausea, then it triggers those questionnaires specifically. Or if it's a medication review, then there's a questionnaire specifically for that also. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do return as a patient and you've been seen before by me, then your chart has been created so that the time that you do come back, it's a shorter process. It recognizes that you've been there before. If you click, I am a patient, I've seen been seen before when you book the appointment, then it'll be a shorter process by update your medical history. So you don't have to rewrite everything. Your chart's been created mm -hmm. and you just can skip uh, if there's no updates. But if there's an update, then you just write the update and that updates your, your medical history. And of course, I review it before it, get en it gets entered into your chart. So once I receive those questionnaires, then I'm able to review them and see further if it's appropriate because there might be some uh, typed in answers that the, the, you know, the algorithm can't um, decipher right. your own uh, f uh, free typing. Right. Uh, so I further look at it. And sometimes even if there's an issue that somebody has been told, no, please go to an emergency room or please get seen in person. Sometimes I have that discretion to either open the portal and secure message the patient uh, or directly phone them sometimes where I think, no, I think I could see you for this. If let me, let me get more information. 
um, since your appointment is in two hours from now, I think this is probably something that's okay to be seen once I got more details. So okay. you have a human behind those algorithms. So if it was somebody that indicated through the through the uh, questionnaire that they had a serious medical issue, you you, you mentioned before you, you you would get a text and you might be able to follow up. Or, Correct. Yeah. But if I if somebody has a serious medical issue, then they should be seen in person. But if it's not sure. serious, let's just say it's something that they let's just say. They have um, they they clicked on on an issue that they have a UTI and they may have a little bit of back pain and they're not sure and then we have to think of a kidney infection. So mm-hmm. uh, depending on the circumstances, something very mild or very early on, and um, then in some circumstances, I have phoned the patient directly to, to clarify or I've secure messaged them and say, okay, we you can go get seen in person or sometimes I can. Uh, end up uh, seeing them. It's just it just ends up being a human behind all those algorithms. It's not just an automated system. Right. One of the questions I was going to ask, and I think you sort of answered it, is uh, for the, a member of the public uh, and who had a condition or you know what have you. How would they? I guess how would they know whether it's something that would be appropriate to approach your service with? Uh, but it seems like. Uh, they should go to the website anyway and, and try out. They yeah, can try, try the algorithm the or they can read on the website. I do have some common conditions and right. there are certain things that I won't do. Mm-hmm. I won't prescribe narcotics, so morphine or benzodiazepines like Ativan, and I won't endorse uh, marijuana prescriptions because that is more appropriate for family practice mm-hmm. where you get ongoing care and the continuity of care. So there are certain things, just like many of walk-in clinics won't do those things because you have to have that ongoing relationship right. with the patient for it to be appropriate to prescribe certain things. Sure. No, that makes sense. Can we, well, I guess before we before we back up, I guess, um, talk a little bit more about uh, there, there are fees involved with the yes. services you provide so there are fees and the general weekday appointment is 48 dollar fee and um that's an appointment up to 20 minutes and there are some extended appointment fees and all those are available on my website at accesspointhealth.ca there's all the information you need and there's general information and there's how it works so there's lots of information on the website um, there is even, I do lots of, uh, social media, uh, public education. There's some information about my business and how it works also on social media, such as Facebook. And if you look up access point health on Facebook or in French point d'accès santé on Facebook, there are some videos there to you further. A, you have a ton of videos there <laughs> and, and, and not just about the business. I, yeah. Some of them were, were, I was looking at uh, some of them in the past week and they're, they're really informative and they're, and they're really things that. Uh, it's really good for the general public to know whether they make use of yeah, your service yeah, or not. It's, yeah. it's, it's good, uh, uh, good information. I think after being 19 years a nurse, and I've been a nurse practitioner since 2005, that I have knowledge to give back. And I think um, I can eloquently and easily speak to a lot of issues. And I try to keep it simple. Uh, and I try to keep it short. Um, so anything that's going on in the community, and I've been trying to keep about one uh, medical video a week in both languages, in French and in English, mm-hmm. and um, it is on uh, uh, Facebook, but I'm starting also on YouTube now, 
uh, it'll be probably around the same videos that I just uh, propagate back onto YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, and let's just say there's something going on in the community, like blue green algae. And I think there could be a good summary given out there because there's so much uh, overload of information and some misinformation out there. So my mission is to give good, reliable information that the general public can understand and speak. I try to speak to uh, the general person out there. So they can get, you know, instead of all the, the super fancy details, although I have done some more detailed ones like on ticks and Lyme disease, yes. um, but I do try to keep them short just so that you don't have to sit there for 20 minutes. It's usually one to five minutes, but mm. most of them are one minute and under, you yes. know, here's the Coles Notes version of what you need to know what's going on. <laughs> like, you know, Legionnaire's disease, I did one on that. So whatever... Um, is in the news or speaks to me or let's just say when the school year started you know i had three little kids and they were talking about head lice so right. i did one on head lice <laughs> so i've not even did posts uh where i asked the public what do you want to hear about you okay. know and somebody said on eczema and i said okay i'll do one on eczema right so uh there can be special requests there's certain topics that it's way too medical to speak about on general information but certain topics like eczema there's lots of things you can do at home, small tips, uh, uh, information that um, are totally doable on these videos. And I also, uh, of course, I'm a prescriber. I can prescribe medications, antibiotics, but I always believe if there's an alternative to using a medication that's as safe. Of course, when a medication is warranted, I prescribe a medication. Mm -hmm. But if there is a... Um, uh, like an alternative approach that has no side effects or very fewer side effects or things you can do first in lifestyle, then absolutely that's what I, I want to work with the person to get those goals. So um, so there's even a little bit of public information on that, on my philosophy and how I approach mm -hmm. life. And uh, yeah. Yeah, good. Can we back up a little bit maybe and I mean, share only as much as you're comfortable with uh, of maybe your your earlier life and maybe what motivated you to get into the into the healthcare sciences and that sort of thing sure uh it goes back as far as i always took care of the people around me even as a little kid when my you know i was a little kid and taking care of my little sisters probably eight years old when they had a fever right. i would take care of my sisters and make them jello <laughs> And put a cold cloth on their forehead. There's pictures of me doing that. No prescription necessary. No prescription necessary. I mean, gave different advice now for, you know, my basic knowledge back then was hydration, which isn't bad, and no. jello, yep. you know, which That's was, right. uh, you know, the, you had a simple diet. So um, it started back then, and I always took care of people around me and always wanted to be a nurse. And when it came time to go to university, I started thinking, what else do I want to do? Because just because I've thought this all my life, it doesn't mean I should do it. Right. <laughs> but I couldn't come up with anything else. Okay. So <laughs> I said, uh, I love science. I love the, you know, the uh, learning more about in the intricacy, uh, like the human body. And um, so that's why I went into nursing. And it, and it was very portable as a profession. And I didn't quite know where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go in life. And uh, it kind of opened up. You weren't restricted to being in a big city. Mm 
Right. And you weren't restricted to being anywhere. Nurses are needed almost everywhere. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why I went into the nursing career. And, and it, then is it the, is it you that you uh, preferred city life over country life or, or what's... I, was, I think I still needed to discover that. Yeah. But it kind of opened everything. Mm-hmm. There was no... I didn't wasn't restricted to being anywhere specific. Okay. And it, it there were so many different things you can do as a nurse as much as working in the community, as working in a hospital... It didn't restrict you to one specific area. So, and you took care of people, and it was medical and science. So, and it was what I thought of of my life, and I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, finished um, at University of Moncton. Mm-hmm. So, in French, yeah. I did my training, my first uh, bachelor's degree in science of nursing. I graduated in two thousand, and I was up. I wanted to work in the community, and at that point, it was actually a job shortage. So, I had or chose to leave New Brunswick for employment, and I worked in isolated northern Indigenous communities in northwestern Ontario, um, which you work in an expanded scope of practice as a nurse. So there is no doctor uh, in those communities. They come once or twice a month. They fly in. These are most most of the communities that I ended up working in were remote enough that you would have to take a plane. Were you a nurse practitioner at this point? No, I was a nurse working in an expanded scope of practice. Wow. So in these areas, nurses, registered nurses, work under guidelines and work in an expanded scope of practice, mm-hmm. and they can uh, diagnose and prescribe. Uh, there is limitations and restrictions, but there's quite a bit you do do because tag you're it. There is. <laughs> Like whatever can happen to a human body can be brought to your door. You're as much the ambulance because in a lot of communities that I worked in, there was no ambulance. You're the one that uh, after hours that answers the phone. So you're doing the triage on the phone. Uh, You're the one that's doing the lab work. You're stocking the pharmacy. You're checking for expired drugs. You're looking at x-rays and you're the eyes and ears of the doctor. So you get to be a very um, good historian and of um, propagating uh, to the doctor exactly what's in front of you, so they can give you the appropriate orders. Um, so and, do and this was all right out of right out of university. Uh, that was very soon out of university. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's a trial by fire, I would say. Yeah, that was definitely. I don't know if I would recommend that. <laughs> um, and it did, I did go through a, a, a training program with Health Canada because uh, it is a federal position. Um, so I went to Lakehead University uh, with uh, the federal government, and uh, this was, uh, I guess, one semester in at Lakehead where we learned how to be uh, nurses in the outpost and do uh, extent, ex- expand our skills such as suturing and so on. So these were all, these were, I guess this is a program just set out for this. There used to be a program at Dalhousie University, and um, which ended up transforming into, I think, uh, historically what I've been told, into the nurse practitioner program. Okay. So it started out as an outpost expanded program that was given by Health Canada, which didn't, which stopped um, operating when I started. So they had moved it to Lakehead University at that okay. point and shortened it. 
it was actually a bit longer I might be wrong in that I you know this is a little bit uh, we're going back to you know early 2000s <laughs> right <laughs> in memory a little foggier yeah, yeah. retrospect um, but we got extra training on medications and prescribing and we were uh, ex- working in an expanded scope of practice as a registered nurse in northern indigenous communities so it was uh, a huge learning experience and a lot of times the more experienced nurses you know we shouldered each other and we learned from each other and um, again every time we had a question we consulted we consulted a lot with collaborating physicians certainly um, any new nurse up north if they're not asking questions I would worry about them yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, you know, as, uh, as I became more seasoned, as I um, worked uh, in the Northern Indigenous communities for just shy of 10 years wow. as an outpost nurse, um, I became a mentor and a senior because most nurses only lasted two to three years at the most. It, it was... Um, be demanding. Very work. demanding yeah. where you were on 24-7 often. You would work in a clinic during the day and be on call at night, you could be on straight for three weeks in a row, either first or second on call. Um, and depending what would happen with the patient, let's just say you're weathered out and the patient is critical and they have to be shipped out. You're still on and you still have to operate the next day, right? Right. right. So tag your it. You can't mm-hmm. fly somebody in very easily to replace you, even if you're tired. So it is very... Um, demanding uh, position up there. So I did, uh, I became a mentor and I always told the nurses that came up there that they could come to me for questions and I would tell them that when they came to, came up, if they were under my wing, which they often were, <laughs> uh, that if they weren't asking questions, I would worry. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I expected them to ask me questions and they were welcomed and I, yeah, I was a teacher and a mentor, and I enjoyed that part of it, and, and um, so going back to the reason of this business, so because I did a lot of telephone triage and a lot of um, consultations directly on the phone, I had already some background experience with doing remote uh, medicine, right. so this is a type of remote medicine, and um I also was a very tech-savvy nurse. So back then, I was probably one of the first nurses that had all their textbooks in the back of their pocket. So I had the Palm Pilot, and I, I back then you could... You're going way back now. Yes. <laughs> I had all the medical books, you know, from your IV drip uh, uh, to your uh, five-minute consult uh, diagnostic book to your lab textbook. So I had multiple textbooks in the back of my pocket. So even if I was at a scene or if I was having to medevac a patient and I was at the, we were stranded at the airport for a little bit and having to change the IV drip, I had that in the back of my pocket. So I pretty much was the only nurse and even physicians weren't doing it quite back then or okay. the ones I was working with weren't quite up uh, which, you know, we, I did have my physical textbooks, but I, I was kind of the girl guide and I was a girl guide growing up for technology's sake. You were an early adopter for sure. Yes. I was an early adopter and I felt I wanted 
all the information at the tip of my fingers. And if I didn't know something, I would tell you and I would look it up or I would consult. So that's how I've always practiced is I always had the best information at the tip of my fingers or I would uh, not be shy to say I don't know and I'm going to look it up. Having having operated in Northern Ontario, where there's you're doing that out of the pressures of the geographical pressures and the, the social pressures that are yeah. there, I, I can see why moving to where you are now is, is a natural fit.
you kind of alluded to me before, though, when we spoke, that there you have some other reasons for for taking on this yes. model for your business as well. Talk about that a little bit, if you like. Okay, so <laughs> skipping forward. Okay, and I became a nurse practitioner in two thousand five, and I went back up north a little bit to say I felt like I wanted more training and to give more to the northern indigenous community, and and I wanted to further my knowledge. So I went back after becoming a nurse practitioner, and once I actually met my husband up there. Uh, so I imported my husband to New Brunswick, <laughs> <laughs> who's a family doctor and uh, now ER doctor. Um, and then I, because we delay a lot of us that are professionals and uh, have gone through extensive training, I have more than seven years of university under my belt and a master's prepared nurse practitioner and this uh, outpost extended practice type of um education with the Canadian government for Northern Indigenous communities, I um, delayed fertility. (laughs) And when you delay fertility, and what happens is, as a nurse practitioner, our license expires every two years. So I had three kids in about three and a half year span. Wow. And I, um, my husband was uh, done having kids he said by 40 and I had my last one at 39 <laughs> so um, at that point what happened was because I had so many kids in a, such a short span I, my license expired uh. and um, I had to recertify and sadly enough I was the first nurse practitioner in 20, uh, back in 2017 to get back my license so everyone before me had decided to either let the license go or move out of the province for another job. So we have more nurse practitioners than jobs. So when I did want to come back, uh, there was no jobs, even if I would have wanted a full-time position. Here, which, in, New, here in New Brunswick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With three little kids, I was looking for something part-time or um, and even tried uh, before uh, leaving my position when I was, pre- I think, was pregnant with my third at that point it blurs together yes it all blurred together because they were 18 months in 19 months apart um i tried to share my position split my position and they weren't uh, they didn't have to accommodate they could have but there was more nurse practitioners and jobs so they didn't have to complicate anything for this it was somebody else willing to do full time instead of me so when I did want to go back, when I did recertify, I had to do a clinical placement and so on. They had to kind of reinvent the wheel and figure out what my needs were. And um, my husband, who is a very um, evidence-based medicine physician, and I am very much evidence-based medicine, and we are all about keeping up to date. So even if I had three kids in diapers at the same time, I kept up to date with podcasts and uh, therapeutic education collaboration, kept going to conferences. So I, um, I think I definitely, uh, even though I was at home with the kids uh, and having regular daily medical discussions with my husband, who is uh, evidence-based medicine guru and talking about numbers that over breakfast <laughs> and the latest research that's come out. And he is a presenter uh, also on, on this type of research to propagate this information uh, to physicians. And um, he also does present sometimes at the hospital or at emergency conference or family medicine conferences. So he updates that uh, year round. So I, it is part of our discussion. So even though I had kept up to date, and kept track of all of this medical and um, 
um, I guess, uh, medical updates, uh, they took that into account. So it's a case-by-case okay. basis right. on what your needs are to, in your own auto-evaluation on what would make you competent again. So how many clinical hours and so on. So because I was the first one, <laughs> they right. had to make a process and decide what was needed in my case. Again with the early adopter theme. <laughs> yes. So I regained my license and then there's no jobs. And what happens once you're no longer um, in the health authority and you don't, um, you're no longer able to see positions when they're posted internally, only externally. Uh. So even if there was a position posted, somebody else would take it up before I could even apply for it. So I had two years to figure out what am I going to do to get my license. And we're established here. We love it in Fredericton. We want to stay here. We have our family here. We have our friends. We didn't want to move. So it was trying to figure out, I have all this knowledge and I have this this love for medicine and for... um, spreading, you know, this good information that I, that I have and all this 19 years of experience behind me to let it go to waste at this point, not waste, but meaning, you know, closing that door on that chapter where you, I, felt you had more to contribute. Yeah, I, guess. I felt I had more to contribute and I had to figure out how am I going to do this and I had to think outside the box. Uh, how am I going to save my license? Because they told me that the next time they would make it very difficult and that they would make me go back to university. So at 43 now, with three little kids going back to university, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I just didn't know if I was up to that for a career that where right. there's no jobs right now, or very little jobs or very little opportunities uh, for employment and nothing flexible. And full-time is not 37.5 hours. It's 50, uh, you know, sometimes hours or more, bringing work at home and with three little kids and my husband doing shift work. Figuring this out was, you know, what am I going to do? I've never owned a business. And nurses have been doing um, services in homes, like with VON, when we had VON around. So we have a long history of doing services to people um, where people pay for it. But, you know, I had to look, what are people out there doing? What are other nurse practitioners doing across Canada? Mm-hmm. What are my options? What am I good at? Right? So I started searching across Canada. And I found different models. Nothing exactly like mine. But there were some interesting mixed models in there. And I started thinking, okay. Because uh, there's also feasibility, right? In the sense, like if you um, want to open a physical business practice there's a lot more money that is going to go into this sure and also the convenient factor of a virtual so secure video medical visits where people the mobility issues people that have little kids that are napping at home people that uh, can't easily access transportation um, or you know the convenience factor let's just say that they don't want to wait hours in a waiting room at a walk-in clinic they actually get a confirmed appointment or, in a ER. Time. or ER mm. so there was a need for more there's absolutely a need for more access uh, in our system and there is no billing code that exists for this type of service so even if I wanted it to be covered it can't be covered right now because there's no way to bill for it through Medicare and nurse right. practitioners cannot bill Medicare 
So even if I was a physician wanting to bill for this, there's no code that exists to bill the system for this. It's just too innovative. It's just too new uh, to be adopted by the system yet. But I think there is space for this in the system. Mm -hmm. I think this is such a cost-effective, convenient way, and I don't think it replaces any service that exists, but it's a huge added bonus and benefit where you don't have to pay for a huge infrastructure, waiting room, and so on. But you give that access for those patients where it's appropriate and patients that can't leave their house easily. Uh, there is, I think, a huge need for this type of mixed model where we're looking to save money in our province. This could is absolutely, um, I think, the way to go. Uh, Be complementary to the to Yeah, the, the current system. Uh, yeah. So until then, I think a lot of innovation, because I worked in um, uh, the current system, and so I know local resources. I know, uh, so that's why I sort of did Fredericton or Mukto in the surrounding area, uh, because I know the area, I know what services are, and um, I know that a lot of times innovation is stifled within the system. It's really hard to be creative and go outside the box. We're expected to do certain things, and to go outside of that is quite difficult so sometimes innovation has to happen in parallel to the system right. and that's and sometimes before the system can catch up um, it has to happen outside to be proven as a model that works and people need and I have lots of stories of how this has helped people here locally and it actually has saved money to certain people that they would have had to either miss time off of work mm-hmm had babysitting for their children to either go to a walk-in clinic or the ER. Uh, and I've sp- spoken to people when I, uh, you know, because it took me almost two years to get this off the ground, where, you know, it, it made sense for them not to miss half of their work, not to have babysitting, and not and even if they live out of town, the gas itself. So for the reasonable fee for a regular visit, $48, for them, it was actually a cost-saving measure for them. Right. Right. And it may be covered by certain uh, private insurance plans uh, through flex money um, or a spending account, but I can't guarantee that. And patient right. has to uh, direct the submit for that. I don't do um, uh, direct billing with insurance companies yet. Right. I've noticed that, and you just mentioned it now too, that you service only the Fredericton and Ormocto uh, areas. Is there a reason why you've, or are there reasons, I yes, guess, why you've limited absolutely. to the, that area? So I do this uh, Fredericton and Ormocto in the surrounding area. And the reason, one, is I wanted to start small. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't taking something on too big. I could have done the whole province, but the one reason was because I knew the system well and I could offer the service where I could link people and connect people and give access to people where connect them within the system where I know it very well. And my collaborating physician also works within the system. So, and the other reason is that this is a part-time operation. So I do about two, maybe three clinic days a week. Most week, if I am open most weeks, but uh, I do take holidays. (laughs) And so this is not a 24-hour access service. And the whole point of this was to be part-time and to create a position. And and it's, I think it's better having me than not having me at all. Right. So you've created your office hours basically to work around your family time. Correct. And um, my clinics change week by week because my husband does ship work. Your schedule, you mean? Yeah. 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 Sorry, my, sh- my schedule changes week yeah. by week, and it goes by when I have childcare, 
<laughs> or when my husband's uh, uh, available and um, also so I can spend time with my kids, right? There's a balance of that. Uh, but I think um, as they grow older and once they are all in school, I may be able to do a little bit more, but there's still lots of demand on taking care of, uh, of my three little kids. But I do want to, uh, you know, still give uh, service. So sometimes my appointments are at lunchtime, which some people have appreciated where they can see me during their lunch. And some are um, in the evenings at 8.30 at night, but not every evening. So it varies week by week. And patients can independently view. They don't need to book. They press on the book now button. Doesn't mean they're going to book now. They can press, click in, and just see what appointments are available. And I usually post my schedule one to two weeks at a time as it's meant for short-term transient care and not long-term care. Um, so patients have the independence of looking if it works for them. Nice. Again, with the, the theme of uh, being on the leading edge and the, er, the early, early adoption of technology, is if, if at some point you did decide to uh, open it up to a wider area or someone in your same situation did, do you feel that this could be an important part of, of the type of health care that you're trying to provide to more rural areas? I mean, New, New Brunswick, and the Maritimes in general, but New Brunswick especially is a largely rural province. I think we're still like 48% of yep. people live in outside of urban areas. It, it seems like an opportunity, if the technology exists in those areas, it seems like an opportunity to provide care for the, in the kind of model that you have. Absolutely. So right now I do offer through, like I said, Frederick, Norm, Moncton, surrounding area, meaning anywhere that accesses their service through Fredericton or Moncton, meaning if they're in the surrounding area and this is their center of care, then I will service, uh, provide services for them if they're in this geographical area. So I'm already servicing some rural areas at this point right, through right. this service. And absolutely, those are patients that I am seeing because either access issues or they don't have um, a primary care provider, meaning a family doctor or nurse practitioner, or they have one and they, don't, they can't get in for a month or two months or they don't want to miss time off of work. Right. So absolutely, I can see this being able to be expanded. Now, will I go to full-time hours? Not likely for a very long time, <laughs> although I have been working more than full-time to get this off the ground, and sure. I'm hoping to be part-time. <laughs> on your own terms. <laughs> <laughs> but for me to hire on, um, I would have to have huge confidence in the other person's skills because this is a higher-risk practice, mm. meaning you don't have the historical background with the patient meaning you don't have that ongoing relationship unless you've seen them more than once and um, because you're not directly in front of the patient you have to have that extra clinical knowledge of all those years of experience so a new grad no I would not hire on for this type of clinic and also my name is my practice and it's being put out there with access point health but really I put a lot of pride in my work and I give I think really good care to patients and I go out of my way usually for patients that I think if somebody I think I need to advocate for uh, I will try my best to advocate for the patient so they get me I guess as a service um, so while I'm establishing it and while I take a lot of pride in this to hire anybody else on unless I would 
feel that they would have the same values and approach, mm-hmm. I would have a very difficult time at this point hiring at this point unless I find somebody that has the same philosophy of approach and the experience to provide this type of service that I would have would have the same um, approach or similar approach with the same skills or level of, of competencies that I feel are needed for this type of practice. Right. But there, there, you feel you've got enough feedback now that you feel that niche does exist. That absolutely, that the need does, is there. Yeah. Absolutely, and and I guess the the pride that I get after all this hard work is that I'm helping people, and I feel good after I've seen somebody that I've been able to help them, and with some medical issues uh, that um, they were either having a hard time to access or. It wasn't convenient for them or they, they it was too long for them to get in. So um, people are coming and some people have come back already. And I, up to now, I mean, you can't make everybody happy, but up to now I feel like the people that I've served, I've served well and I feel good about it. And I think the patients have left uh, being well cared for. Oh, that's satisfying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah. You, you've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, wanting to have something that you could do part-time. So clearly, you know, your work-life balance is important to you, especially as a parent. How, how else has parenthood uh, informed how you do your practice and maybe what you do day-to-day in your practice? Hugely. It's been a humbling experience. I would say what advice I, would, I gave before I had kids is completely different than the advice that I give now that I've had children. <laughs> uh, it's changed my perspective, and I'm a lot more forgiving uh, to myself and to my patients, and I'm a lot more intuitive that uh, also that what worked with the first might not work with the second. So I'm not going to tell somebody, if you do this, it's going to work. No, I, I know <laughs> that one size does not fit all, and we all have our personal choices on how we choose to raise our kids. And uh, because I've had three kids, I have some perspective and insight to give, and I have breastfed all my kids so I know I had lots of challenges with breastfeeding so I can have a lot of compassion for the moms out there Uh, so I'm not a lactational consultant but I have uh, my experience my clinical experience and um, I definitely uh, respect the woman's choice whatever they decide and will be able to support them uh, if they do come to see me in regards to issues of course I, I am open to seeing uh, people of all ages, but I definitely enjoy seeing uh, families and because I can really relate with this time of life and I can really see the need where you have three, four kids or two kids or one napping child at home and you just want that kind of advice mm-hmm. and uh, having that access um, and it also gives a bit of a more intimate setting where some people even with some mental health issues would have been too intimidated because they're in the comfort of their own home. Um, they they feel actually, and even the pre-visit questionnaires, I've had some positive feedback where they felt like they could pre-address or pre-write some of the issues without feeling so intimidated by it. So I've up to now, it's been pretty positive on all aspects of what I've done. And I'm, of course, I'm refining and taking feedback and adapting as I learn. But the basis of what I did, I think I feel good and proud of. And it was a lot of hard work. But um, I can see it working and working for the patient and for me as a practitioner. That's great. Tell the listeners maybe where they can find your website and any, any way to contact you. Um, so it's Access Point Health. 
www.ca and we do have a contact form on there and we really discourage any uh, medical questions being submitted on there medical questions need to be kept for the appointment itself you can send general information requests on our website uh, as it isn't as secure as portal as my uh, our secure portal or messaging system now for uh, you can also reach us on facebook at Access Point Health also. And of course, you can write in French or in English, uh, Point Access Santé. There is a French uh, Facebook page, but you can write on either page. Uh, you can secure message me again, uh, not to send any urgent um, medical questions. Uh, it is only for general inquiries and all medical questions needs to be addressed directly during an appointment itself. Well, then I hope as, uh, as your business builds and evolves, we can maybe check in with you periodically and, and see how things are, are going and evolving in the, in the healthcare field. Yeah, I think so. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Great. So that was a recording of my conversation with Lynn Terriosego. As Lynn mentioned, you can find her services at accesspointhealth.ca or you can check out her Facebook page by searching Access Point Health. Lynn asked me to mention that her website will soon be revamped and relaunched and a separate standalone app will be released in early 2020, so keep an eye out for that. Contrary to some of the text on the website, the video conferencing sessions are fully functional on tablets and on some mobile devices. You'll need to uh, download the Google Chrome web browser on your device, and if you don't have it, it only takes a couple of minutes to do so. If you're using an iPhone, you should contact Lynn in advance because there's a separate app that she'll provide for that situation. For the sake of clarity during the session, she recommends you use earbuds with an integrated microphone if you're using a mobile device. Lynn also wanted me to mention that she does require patients to provide their Medicare card so that she can access things like your medication history on the provincial electronic health records. She also wanted me to mention again that her services are not covered by Medicare and so payment for her virtual visit is due right after the session is over. I'd encourage you to have a look at Lynn's website at accesspointhealth.ca and there you can see the full range of symptoms that she can help treat during one of her virtual visits. I'll put links in the show notes for this episode. Again, the music you heard this episode was Where Have You Been? from the Nova Scotia band Port Cities. You can find them online at portcities.ca as well as on iTunes, YouTube and Spotify. I'll also post some links to some of their songs in the show notes. Once again, I want to thank Lynn for being a gracious and patient guest, and I do hope we can check in with her again sometime down the road. Until next time, stay well and keep finding reasons why to stay. Finally found the good life, never gonna put it down.